Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I'm Thinking of Ending Things was written by Ian Reed and published in 2016. And the film adaptation was directed by Charlie Kaufman and came out in 2020. And this is a patron-requested episode. Our patron, Kevin, asked us to do this episode and just really loved the movie and um, hadn't read the book, but really wanted to hear our take comparing the book and movie, which... Considering the subject matter, I can understand why you might not want to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you see the movie and you're like, I really want to know what the frame of reference for this film was. Yeah. So, yeah, we're we're super excited to, you know, a a lot of times the patron requests are like a little bit more obscure Mm -hmm. uh, adaptations. Now, this was like talked about a decent amount when it came out. It's fairly new, too. Yeah, it was a Netflix release and Charlie Kaufman despite making some of the weirdest shit out there in film, um, is still pretty well known Mm -hmm. by a lot of people. So he kind of fits into like a very, a narrow window of being very art house, but kind of household name. Yeah, one of our other patrons, Ben, actually suggested this too, but ended up going with a different suggestion that we did for his patron request. So there was like quite a bit of interest in this adaptation which is cool and i want to mention charlie kaufman specifically because one of my and ian's favorite films of all time is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yeah i mean that movie is just so good so perfect i know that's a hot take no yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people really love that film and it's held up so well um now that was directed by um of course, now that if I pause for even a second trying to remember someone, <laughs> it uh, leaves you. It's gone. It's gone. It's not coming. Michael. I don't know. It's not Gondry. Back. Gondry. Thank you. It was yeah. Gondry. I wanted to say Goddard and I'm like, that's not right. Yeah. Uh, Michael Gondry directed that. Um, but Charlie Kaufman, you know, who is more well known as a writer in mm-hmm. his career earlier on, has shifted into directing a lot of his work. Yeah. Uh, starting with Snacky New York, which I have not seen because I hear it's a huge bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did I'm a, sensing a theme. Here. Yeah. And then he did a very, very weird kind of uh, stop motion movie, Animalicia, mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So, yeah, he's definitely made the shift into directing. And I do think it's interesting to compare this to Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind in terms of their very, very dreamlike qualities. Yeah, and questioning what is reality and what isn't. Yeah, yeah, there's a really strong connection between those films in that way. Yeah, I would love, maybe we should do a bonus episode on Eternal Sunshine. (sighs) I, yeah. Because, like, it's not based on anything. It's not. (laughs) But it's one of our favorites. I know, it would be great some, some month when we don't have natural bonus material content yeah we'll just talk about eternal sunshine (laughs) and just gush about it for an hour and a half that sounds perfect (laughs) i also just want to say at the top that this movie and book is like a lot about suicide so oh yes thank you for just you know warning everybody be yeah be be aware (laughs) if you couldn't tell by the very ominous i'm thinking i'm thinking of ending things title which i mean is a pretty good title because it. I think you initially kind of think of like a suicidal kind of yeah. thought mindset with that. But then at least, you know, at the very beginning of the film or in the trailers, you're like, OK, like the character's talking about a relationship. Yeah. 
But then obviously it, it's broadened farther beyond that. Mm-hmm. And this book and movie really like involve a lot of discussions and thoughts and ponderings on like just the nature of human existence, reality, fiction, um, science and nature and just aging so many things. And we're not going to have time to talk about them all. But it's funny because the movie and book are kind of in their own way dense and tackle different but similar topics. Yeah, they all they they have um, similar yet varying and different topics and discussions of like in the car rides and stuff like there's definitely a connective tissue but uh, what Kaufman does with the film is different than the book in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, w- we definitely can't touch on all of it, but we'll kind of, you know, generalize a lot of it. Yeah. And I want to read the first lines of the book because they're also the first lines of the movie. It's kind of kept the same. So I'm just going to start here with the book. I'm thinking of ending things. Once this thought arrives, it stays. It sticks. It lingers. It lingers. It dominates. There's not much I can do about it. Trust me. It doesn't go away. It's there whether I like it or not. It's there when I eat. When I go to bed. It's there when I sleep. It's there when I wake up. It's always there. Always. I haven't been thinking about it for long. The idea is new. But it feels old at the same time. When did it start? What if this thought wasn't conceived by me, but planted in my mind, pre-developed? Is an unspoken idea unoriginal? Maybe I've actually known all along. Maybe this is how it was always going to end. Yeah. Hella dramatic. (laughs) Very dramatic. But, you know, even just understanding the broader context of the story. Yeah. Rereading that. And I mean, you know, the the plot, even if you just think of it in being relationship terms, still has this like ominous. Yeah. Kind of overwhelming quality to it. But then, you know, understanding more of the story, like you definitely read a lot more into that. Yeah. Let's set up what's happening when we start both the book and the movie. We have this main character who's a woman. In the book, we never find out what her name is. In the movie, we hear that her name is Lucy. Yes. Uh, played by Jesse Buckley, who's this gorgeous redhead with curly hair. Oh, yeah. I love her. Um, And she is going on this road trip with her boyfriend, Jake, to meet Jake's parents. Yeah. They've been dating for what the main character thinks is like seven weeks. Yeah. But she also says it feels like it's been longer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this like abstract amount of time to her. Yeah. Uh, but it's their first road trip together. But as you've already said in those opening lines, she's already thinking about uh, breaking it off with him. Yeah. And we get some flashbacks or kind of she's remembering how they met. Yeah. Which is at this bar trivia night. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how Jake was on this trivia team and he seemed very serious and smart And she ended up going over and talking to him. And they were kind of like bantering back and forth a bit. And he seemed kind of pretentious. But for some reason, she was okay with that. I absolutely hated Jake. Yeah. Reading like how they met and just kind of his more pretentious qualities. And she keep the narrator in the book keeps like reassuring the reader that like, I know it sounds pretentious, But, like, it wasn't because it was Jake, and I could tell he was, like, sweet and nice and genuine. Yeah. Even though he's using the word ipsity in a sentence, (laughs) and, like, I don't know what it means. And, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like 
we all know, maybe not all of us, but like I feel like I've known Jakes in the past who I have yeah. not liked. Yeah. Uh, and I would find them very annoying. Mm-hmm. So I immediately had kind of a negative, just not. I, I did not like the vibe. Yeah, and in the movie, we get the scene later where when she's at Jake's parents' house and she's telling them about how they met. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because this part of the story, she gets super animated. Yeah. She's really excited all of a sudden. Like, the whole time she's been at the parents' house, she's been kind of like, it's weird here. I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. And then they're like, tell us how you and Jake met. And she's like, oh, my gosh. It was so cute. Like, oh, he was he was really cute. I was so into him. And he was kind of saying all these big words. And I was like, cut the crap. Like, <laughs> you know, it was just, it's just so, like, she's, you know, giving these lines, like, she's really acting it out. Yeah, and also just interesting how in the book she kind of seemed to be attracted to that quality of him, whereas in the film she kind of like sees through it or yeah. like doesn't want his to deal with his yeah with his pretentious like qualities. So I thought that change was also interesting. Mm-hmm. We've already started talking about Jake a little bit, but I want to get into him a little bit more. In the book, he's described as being very tall and lanky and awkward, mm-hmm. quiet, shy, super intelligent. Um, the main character, the girl, is always talking about how smart he is and how she's attracted to that uh, smartness in him. Yeah. And there are, are scenes when they're kind of talking about all these you know, science topics and how they relate to humanity. And he starts going off on a rant. She's like, oh, I'm like so into him right now. Yeah, (laughs) it does. It feels very male fantasy. Yeah. Like, and I mean, not that I'm not trying to be like, oh, intellect is like always obnoxious or anything like that. But I don't know, just the way he comes across in the like story. Like lecturing her sometimes. Yeah, and like, let me tell you something about uh, Mercury. The number of days <laughs> in a year in Mercury is this, and like its temperature, and it has an iron core, and he's just like, yeah. kind of always like lecturing to her, it feels. Mm-hmm. But he, he, he is obviously like very intelligent, though. Yeah, there's one point in the book where he says that I'm the smartest man in the world, and she's like, she thinks that he's joking, and yeah. he's doing a bit, but you're just not certain. Yeah, but it also seems like he's maybe serious. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's definitely heavily implied that he's like being serious or, or believes it. Yeah. And in the movie, Jake is played by Jesse Plemons. So we have Jesse and Jesse. Yep. <laughs> I absolutely love Jesse Plemons in this role. Yeah. Here's the thing about Jesse Plemons, okay? Yeah. He is perfect, or his wheelhouse is playing a character. That is very polite and, you know, very normal, but there's kind of something off or something missing. Yeah. Uh, His role is... No one is home. Yeah, (laughs) yes, yeah. Or there's like a a sociopathic quality or something kind of under the surface. His role as Todd in Breaking Bad is like that. Oh, yeah. Or if you think about in Judas and the Black Messiah, him as the FBI agent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of a sinister quality to him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all of his roles kind of have that aspect to him. Yeah, and I like to, in the movie, when um, Lucy, the main character, is kind of in her mind, we hear her internal dialogue, and she's you know, thinking like, I'm thinking of ending things. And she's like, I think we should break it off. I think I want to be alone. He's nice, but I don't think it's going to work. Uh, Jake keeps interrupting her. 
Yeah. Which is kind of funny because it's her internal monologue. So he's not actually interrupting her verbally, but she's having a monologue. She'll be like, I was remembering the time and he'll be like, hey, what are you thinking about? Yeah. Um, And it's really creepy and weird and sets the vibe up right away. Well, and it's implied at the very start that he can maybe hear her. Yeah. Because she's like, I'm thinking of ending things in her head. Yeah. And he's like, what was that? Like, you say something. I do love, though, the mechanism of him interrupting her monologues, her internal ones, or yeah. other people inter... Because, like, in, in real life, like, people don't really have monologues like that. At least no. I don't. It, it, in real life. But, like, if you did, they would be interrupted all the yeah. time. You yeah. know what I mean? If you were, like, talking to yourself in your head and then, like, you're with someone. Yeah. They would cut you off constantly. But, like, you never <laughs> see that in movies. No, and it is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we get this, uh, portion of them. Well, first we should probably talk about a little bit of, um, additional things going on with the main character. Yeah. She is getting very unnerving, creepy phone calls that when they show up on her phone, it says it's from her. Yeah. And like it has her name on the screen and the person calling sometimes won't say anything. Yeah. They oftentimes don't leave a message, but when they do leave a message, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's like, there's only one question that needs to be answered. Yeah. But they also say like, I'm not lucid. Like they yeah. kind of like go on this like weird tangent. It's literally like a crazy person calling her. Yeah. Yeah. But her phone is saying it's like from her like yeah. as a contact. Why doesn't she block the number Ian? I don't, no, <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of po possible solutions Why doesn't she put her phone on silent? <laughs> God, throughout this whole time, I'm like, just turn off your phone because her phone keeps ringing like when they're with Jake's parents and yeah. when they're in the car with Jake. And she doesn't want to tell Jake about the phone calls for some reason that we don't understand yet. And I'm like, just turn your phone on silent. Block the number. Turn your phone off. What are you doing? But that being said, it adds to the dream slash nightmarish quality yeah like you wouldn't be able to do that in a dream yeah or you wouldn't think to do that in a dream yeah you know what i mean yeah you wouldn't be able to yeah the, the logic of it is like i mean at first especially you're like why wouldn't you do that but then just as it keeps going and the story keeps getting more and more weird mm -hmm. it's like the logic kind of like goes out the window almost yeah yeah well and then she also remembers this like very upsetting childhood memory of just like some man standing at her bedroom window when she was like young and watching her a tall man a tall man like his, his head was above I the window i just kept thinking of like a slender man or something or the the, the <laughs> one guy from um it follows oh my god stop what's scarier than a very tall man yeah i'm sorry to any <laughs> listeners who are in the dark who are very yeah in the dark who are very tall but if you're over like six five yeah and it's dark out you're terrified <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not good you're you're my nightmare <laughs> um it's also really funny because later on in the book um much later she's thinking to herself like she's in a very terrifying situation and she's like you know the most scary thing that hap ever happened to me was kind of this like really like normal thing. Yeah. W with my mom's one friend talking to me when she wasn't in the room and it was mm -hmm. unsettling. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking the about? The tall man. The tall man. <laughs> Did you forget about the tall man? I'm like, how was that not immediately number one on your list of scariest things ever? Yeah. <laughs> I know. 
Um, so yeah, just like the book especially um, starts off in a very unnerving fashion. Mm-hmm. And they're on the road. They're kind of having these deep philosophical discussions. Some of the things they talk about is like the nature of getting older. At one point in the movie, they talk about the role of like TV and movies in our like imagination and creativity. Mm, yeah. Uh, there's a really interesting kind of discussion. It's a whole story from the main character about like this weird driving instructor she had. Oh, yeah. But the idea of like you could never be the quote unquote best kisser. Yeah. Because it takes two people to kiss and like w- not one of you could be the best because then isn't the other person also as good. Yeah. And how would you know you need another person to be able to tell? Yeah. Yeah. And this idea of like it doesn't to do something on your own doesn't always have meaning. Like you need to have someone in your life. Yeah. So touching on this theme of like loneliness. Well, and that's also where uh, Jake brings up like, well, what if I told you I was the smartest man in the world? Yeah. And how could you disprove me? Yeah. What a fucking dude conversation to have. I know. Prove to me I'm not the smartest man in it's the world. It's your job Adina. to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, we're just assuming I am. Uh, any other interesting, uh... Oh, she, in the movie, she ends up reciting this poem. Yeah. Um, because he's like, oh, read me one of your poems. And she's like, okay, I started writing this one. I'll just read it to you now or I'll recite it. And she recites this poem and it's very creepy and it's kind of about how, like, home is, like, not the same as you get older and how, like, depressing life is yeah like bones i forget the title of the poem yeah talks a lot about bones (laughs) like everything's just bones (laughs) i get it i get it yeah yeah no i i feel it i feel the vibe uh but it's a very long poem it probably lasts like a few minutes yeah of her just reciting it she's very good at reciting it she is yeah she's excellent uh once again the actress jesse buckley buckley Mm -hmm. uh you know, has a lot of really great standout scenes in this movie. Yeah. And intercut with these scenes of the two of them on this road trip and then at, you know, his parents' house are scenes of this older man who is a janitor at a high school. Yeah. Uh, Older, probably in his, probably in his 70s at this point, maybe just late 60s, but... Yeah. uh, And just kind of him going about his day going to the school, cleaning shit up. Yeah. Um, Just a very, very unremarkable, like every time it goes back to him, it's just him kind of going about his life. And he he works in this high school where they're putting on a production of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some like memorable moments like him kind of watching these two uh, kids practicing their dance yeah. in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, there's some, like, mean teenagers, like, laughing at him. Yeah. Teenagers are the fucking worst. Yeah, and I think we're meant to know right from the beginning when we see this intercut footage that there is some connection to this janitor and to Jake, specifically. Yeah. Jake mentions something about, because there's a song on the radio from Oklahoma the Musical, and Lucy, the girl, is like, oh, I've never heard this song before. And he's like, oh, it's from Oklahoma. And she's like, oh, I didn't know you like musicals. And he says, oh, yeah, I like enlists all these musicals. And then says, yeah, they do them. They put on uh, productions every few years. Mm-hmm. And she's like, where? 
And then he kind of changes the subject. Yeah. And then we see the janitor, like, watching the kids at this high school, like, put on a production. Yeah. So, like, really upfront, you're kind of like, is this janitor Jake? Like, it really seems like yeah. he is. But, like, what does that mean for the main plot line of, of the couple that we're watching? Like, how does that make yeah. any sense and what's going on? Mm-hmm. But... I will say, and I do appreciate that um, we read uh, an interview with Charlie Kaufman about this story. Yeah. And essentially something along those lines is kind of like unfolded and revealed as the story goes on that like, yes, this janitor is Jake to a degree. Yeah. Um, And Charlie Kaufman just kind of said like, yeah, I wanted that to be pretty obvious and people to know that up front because mm-hmm. he's like, I don't think this story would have worked if this was, like, some kind of twist at the end. Yeah. And I really strongly agree with that uh, approach. Yeah, he's not trying to shock people. He's just trying to confuse you. Yeah, because <laughs> you're just like, I still don't yeah. get what's happening, but yeah. but you're along for the ride. And the book does something interesting, too, where the story is happening with the girl and with Jake, but then we get these random chapters that are, like, two people talking to each other about some horrific incident that has happened and you don't know exactly what it is. Like it's described in kind of vague terms and at first you're like, oh my God, is this girl murdered? And then you're like, oh my God, did someone kill themselves? Like what happened here in this spot as they're discussing it? Yeah, they vaguely are talking about a coworker Mm -hmm. that like is responsible for whatever happened and like whoever would have thought that he would have done this or like that this would have happened. Very ominous. Yeah, and, and the whole book, all the chapters are kind of like intercut with those conversational moments. Mm-hmm. So they do actually arrive at the farm. I know. I didn't think they would. I know. I'm like, <laughs> is this going to be the whole story is just them going Trapped there? In the car. Yeah, having conversations the whole way. But no, they do actually get to the farm. Mm-hmm. And Jake wants to show her around to the barn before they go inside, even though it's like the middle of winter. Yeah. And the barn is is nothing <laughs> special. Yeah. She gets to see some dead lambs. That are frozen mm-hmm. solid. And then Jake tells her like, oh, here's the old pig pen. You don't want to know what happened to the pigs. And she's like, I mean, what happened to the pigs? He's like, all right, you twisted my arm. Anyway, <laughs> um, they got infested with maggots and were being eaten alive. Yeah. And then we had to kill them because they were dying anyway. <sighs> and it's like a, a really unsettling story. Yeah. And, and it brings up this idea. Sorry to interrupt Oh, no, you. you're okay. It brings up this idea that she has, which is... Is death an end to suffering? Mm-hmm. Which is really awful to think about. Yeah. And in the film, actually, there was a conversation in the car before, too, about, like, not everything wants to live. Yeah. About, like, certain insects that will, like, blow themselves up and that kind of thing. And, yeah. Uh, just kind of, like, the nature of death and our association with it. So, mm-hmm. like, death is already a heavy topic (laughs) in this story pretty early on. Yes. And then we meet Jake's parents, who are played by uh, Tony Collette and David Thewlis. Yes. Uh, Dream team. Yeah, they're so good in this. (laughs) I actually, so I'm a huge Tony Collette fan. Yeah. Uh, Watch Hereditary. It's terrifying, but also Tony Collette is just... 
the biggest Oscar snub yeah. in history is all I'll say. <laughs> um, she's fantastic in it. And she's great in this too. Yeah. As kind of this like very weird manic. Manic is a good word. I would use that word to describe her. Yeah. Like. She just laughs too long and too loudly. Yeah. And gets too overly excited about things. Yeah. A very odd person. Like it seems like she has some kind of like personality to, personality disorder Mm -hmm. of some kind but like who knows yeah but i actually love david thewlis more in this really i something about his like the way he talks and like his like dad yeah like like his kind of like mumblings and like (laughs) i some some kind of he he captured some kind of dad energy yeah in this movie that was like so effective like Semi-interested dad, but, like, doesn't understand anything you're talking about. Yes. (laughs) Like, there's a great dinner scene where uh, she's explaining, because we find out, too, at this point in the film that... She's a painter. She's a painter as well. Yeah. As well as a poet. And she's showing her paintings to uh, the mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, because they talk about Christina's World, which is an amazing painting by Andrew Wyeth. Yeah. And landscapes, but landscapes being sad... And he's like, I think you need like a sad person in a landscape or else how is the landscape sad? Or that's how you know it's sad. Yeah. And she's trying to show him photos to prove that like, well, you know, the the vibe of it can be sad even without a person, which mm-hmm. is like, I guess, her painting style. Yeah. And she's like showing him photos while she's explaining it. And he's clearly like, OK, hmm. Intru- yeah okay well like, i still think you need to have a person <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you clearly you're just like it's just bouncing off it's not his getting skull yeah. yeah yeah uh so like that kind of vibe from david thulis as the dad is like so perfect in this yeah and the mom talks about having like health problems like she has uh tinnitus mm-hmm. which is a an ear condition where you hear like a buzzing in your ears but she actually describes it as whispering yeah so she's like i just hear like people are whispering to me all the time and i'm like that's not upsetting and creepy <laughs> that's totally fine yeah the the dinner scene though is just like so so uncomfortable and awkward it goes through kind of a lot of ups and downs yeah um jake is especially weird around mm-hmm. his parents like on one hand he kept talking about how he wanted uh the narrator to meet his parents but then as soon as his parents like come down steps after a long wait yeah there's just this weird coldness like and he's very defensive too yeah anytime the mom tries touching him he like flinches away mm-hmm. he gets angry at the mom for not knowing what trivial pursuit yeah. version she's talking about yeah and yeah so he's like not helping in the awkwardness either no and there's a dog that keeps literally shaking itself in and out of this dimension <laughs> i at there, there's a certain level of humor at different points in the film but one of the few parts that really made me laugh out loud was the dog that like anytime she looks at him he's just like shaking himself yeah like literally mo- vibrating out in and out of existence <laughs> <laughs> exactly like something about that just like really cracked me up yeah and speaking of the dad too there's a really great scene of her and the dad in the bedroom. It's similar-ish in the book, but I think the movie does it a little better because suddenly the dad is older, like we can tell. Yeah, his hair's like white. Mm -hmm. Uh, He just seems more kind of sunken. And 
it's kind of a weird conversation. Um, the dad is kind of like inappropriate in terms of like talking about like, oh, you can spend the night here if you want. Like we only have a twin bed in his room. So yeah. you, you probably won't be able to fuck on it. Like he just <laughs> says that to her. Yeah. But like. It's weird. It almost seems kind of like dementia y. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's just not really aware of what he's saying almost. And then he says that he has dementia. And when she first Oh, that's goes, right. He does say that. When she first goes into Jake's room, there's like a uh piece of paper on the room that reads Jake's childhood bedroom. And I'm like, what why is this here? And then he ends up saying, like, oh yeah, um, we have to label things because I, I keep forgetting stuff. And talks about you know, his dementia and not being able to remember things and how like sad that is. Yeah. And and how he almost thinks it'll be better when he can't remember that he can't remember anymore. Yeah. It's like very twisted and sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this kind of inexplicable aging isn't really addressed by the main character. No. I think maybe she's surprised at first, but, like, doesn't say anything. hmm And after this encounter, she walks into the other bedroom where Jake is trying to feed his now elderly mother. Yeah, he's spoon-feeding her. She's in a wheelchair. Like, it's clear that, you know, whatever's going on here, we're moving kind of back and forth in time and maybe memory. Yeah. And um, then we see the mom and she's like suddenly really young and she's like picking up toys as if this is like the mom that Jake remembers from his childhood. And then we get some scenes that in the movie specifically are kind of implying that some of the facets of this narrator's personality are artificial. Yeah. Uh when she, well, so when she's in the, um, Jake's childhood bedroom, yeah. she finds a book of poetry and finds the poem that she spoke aloud in the car. Yeah, in that a, she said was her poem. Yeah, in a book of poetry by, like, another woman. Like, mm-hmm. it's a published poem. Yeah. Uh, and then she goes down into the basement and discovers that the paintings that she was showing the parents on her phone are real paintings by, like, a real artist. Yeah, and in the basement, there are, like, prints of them, and there are um, copy attempts next to them, and they're signed Jake. Yeah. And in the book, we don't get this, but we do get another kind of creepy basement scene where she goes into the basement and sees these paintings down there, and, like, all of them are kind of similar with, like, a woman or a ma- uh, some kind of figure with really long nails uh, and long hair. <laughs> and then sometimes holding a baby or a child or an animal. Yeah. I don't think this is ever explained. No, either. no, it's not. <laughs> like, uh, what the movie does is tying into a larger theme of, like, the narrator's personality being, like, fictitious. An amalgamation of like a lot of different things. Yeah. Whereas the book, I'm just like, what are these paintings? I don't understand. It's super creepy. (laughs) Uh, She also in the book overhears the parents kind of arguing and something about like, oh, he shouldn't have quit the job at the lab. Yeah. And she's thinking like, Jake still works at the lab. Like, why are they talking about this? Mm -hmm. And additionally in the film, she discovers uh, uniforms 
janitor uniforms in the washing machine. Yeah. Like all the same uniform, mm-hmm. which just further solidifies this idea that Jake is somehow this elderly janitor at the school that we yeah. keep seeing. Mm-hmm. And then we get a scene in the movie where it seems like the mom is dead and Jake is just sitting at her bedside, like crying. Yeah. And the narrator is like, is she okay? And he's like, oh, yeah, she's just sleeping. But then he's like, it was a good time for her to go. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but then the dad walks in and the dad is like the youngest we've seen him. Yeah. And he's like, well, thanks for stopping by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and this age shifting is not in the book. The book is no. weird in its own ways, but it doesn't have this like. Back and forth. Yeah. So this is like a, a purely film uh bent on the narrative yeah and in the book when they're back in the car and they're heading home i think um the narrator kind of brings up oh your dad was kind of talking to me in the bedroom and she was talking to him about different things in the bedroom and this is where jake kind of is like oh yeah my parents were probably arguing about my brother and she was like, what? You have a brother? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we don't really talk about him. He's like, what? I didn't tell you about R- Roger? You know, my brother? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, he was like super withdrawn and isolated. And he kept like following me around and started to like wear my clothes and try to like impersonate my life. And then it kind of got out of control and I had to just cut him off and like never speak to him again. And even as I'm reading this in the book, and I'm like, okay, here's his secret brother yeah. who hey, has problems. Hey, doctor, I have a friend. Yeah. Uh, who has a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me. It's a friend. Yeah, you know, my friend, my de- my close, close friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is kind of like adding to this. But like the narrator kind of accept- accepts this explanation mm-hmm. and is like, oh, the parents were talking about him when I overheard them, that whole spiel. Yeah. Um. We get more conversations in the car ride, Mm -hmm. in the film, on the way back. Um, Jake kind of has a a really, a minor breakdown, kind of talking about aging. Yeah. And how we have kind of created this, like, fake idea of, like, a silver lining to things. Yeah. But aging is just, like, awful and bad and like there's nothing good about it and there's no hope in in life yeah and then the narrator kind of turns into this other woman yeah because he starts talking about uh a woman under the influence yes a film from a long time ago yeah and he is kind of talking about like why he likes it or things he thinks about it and then she kind of like takes over the conversation and starts going off on like this monologue about the film. And I think it's her criticism of it. Yes. Um, and you can tell that this is not her because she's literally like suddenly smoking a cigarette and like <laughs> yeah. speaking in like kind of this different voice. Yeah. Like an accent. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in writings that we uh, on this movie that we read later, it was, you know, pointed out that, one of the many books you see in Jake's room is a book of um, film essays yeah. by a really well-known film critic. Mm-hmm. And that this is her uh, criticism. Yeah, so she's, she's impersonating um, this film reviewer who reviewed this movie and, you know, reciting her thoughts on it. I just think it's funny, though, because Jake is kind of like, oh, yeah, you're, you know what? You're right. Like, she kind of, like, schools him. Yes. Because he's like, oh, I had these thoughts on it. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to literally recite what somebody else said. And he's kind of like, 
bows to that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Charlie Kaufman specifically said about this. He's like, because he had this a, a very similar experience or has had similar experiences where he's like seen a movie or something and liked it. Yeah. And then later read a review by someone he really expects respects and admires. Yeah. And they hated it. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot for like <laughs> thinking I liked that. And I, I think we've all been there before, too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You're on board with something. You like something or support something. And then later you're like, oh, no, this is awful. <laughs> but I think this is tying into this idea of like you know, the narrator's personality just being this whole compilation of things and maybe by an extension, Jake's personality as well. Yeah. Like he's just this amalgamation, this kind of jigsaw puzzle of all these pieces, which we all are to a certain extent. Yeah, it's not like he's alien or weird for that necessarily yeah i mean we're two people that really love books and movies and television and talk about that and it's a part of our personality yeah genuinely um so even though in ways it comes across as being like bad and that like we know there's no originality yeah and that jake can be seen as like particular or like sensitive about things it's also like well aren't we all yeah i do just want to mention like how many different facets of the narrator's personality come up specifically in the movie. The book is more just kind of like she can't remember a lot of things about her past and is unsure about who she is. But in the movie, literally, Jake calls her Lucy, Lucia, Louisa, uh, and Amy at one point. And her careers go from like, She's a poet. Yeah. She's a painter. Mm-hmm. She's like a physicist. And a quantum uh, physics yeah. major. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a physicist at one point, she says. And I like. And the... she studies geriatrics at another time. Yes. And I like <laughs> the progression of all of these because, you know, at first, okay, her name's Lucy. And then he calls her Lucia. Yeah. And you're like, well, that Lucy could be short for that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's a poet, but okay, she paints. She, you can do both. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like... And then he's like, she studies quantum physics. And you're like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it kind of like, at first, like, ramps up the pl- implausibility of, yeah. like, what is going on. And then how they met gets contradicted multiple times. Yeah. Uh, that story that Lucy tells at the dinner table later on... Um, Jake is like, oh, I told you, dad, we met when she was a waitress and she waited on my table. And, yeah. And that whole spiel. And, mm-hmm. and 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 also at one point she says she grew up in an apartment. And then at another point she says she grew up in a really rural area. Yeah. So it's constantly like shifting and you kind of are picking up on all these like contradictions to her. Yeah. Uh, it's getting creepy. It's getting very not great vibes. <laughs> So they're in the car and things are getting weird. Like she's going off on this film critique. And then suddenly Jake is like, I know what we need. It's a blizzard outside, but we should get some ice cream. Yes. Uh, so they stop at a, in the book, it's a just a straight up Dairy Queen. Yep. Which I really would have loved to see this in the movie if Dairy Queen was like, <laughs> yeah, sure. You can use all of our branding in this like <laughs> super fucking weird, creepy yeah. scene. <laughs> I, I I think it was better that they didn't do that anyway, yeah. but like there would have been a real ridiculousness to that. Yeah, because instead, because this story in the movie takes place in Oklahoma. We have no idea where it is in the book, I don't think. No, no. Uh, there is something, though, that I wanted to touch on here that I think is really weirdly unique 
I think it's true in both the book and the film, but I get it more in the film. Uh-huh. And it's this sense of like weird, prolonged anticipation mm. that's constantly being drawn out. So, I mean, the first is obviously when they're in the car ride going to the parents' house. And you're like, are they ever going to get there? Yeah, you're like, it's 20 minutes of the film, them going to the parents' house. Like, is this the whole film? It probably is, right? But no, they eventually get there. They tour the farm, then they go inside. And then the parents are upstairs. Yeah. Not coming down for a long time. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what's going on? Something's weird here. Like... I don't know what it is. What's going on? Are they okay? nothing ever really like happens to explain it. They just come downstairs and then they're downstairs and then the movie progresses. Yeah. Similarly, I was like, you're like, they're never going to leave. Yeah. Like they're, they're stuck in some weird. She keeps wanting to escape. Yeah. She keeps asking, please, can we go? Can we go? And he's like, yeah, sure. Soon, soon, soon. And it keeps getting dragged out and they're in this weird time loop. And you're like, this is the rest of the film. (laughs) But then. They do go. Yeah. They get in the car. They put the the chains on the tires. Then they actually leave. And similarly in this scene in the ice cream stand, when they first get there, there's no one there. Yeah. They're kind of waiting and looking. And you're like, is it abandoned? What's going on? Then people show up and then it just keeps going. Yeah. Or when they drive to the high school after this, they're Mm -hmm. going down this really weird road for a long time. And she's like, this feels weird. This doesn't seem like a school road. Yeah. Like buses couldn't even get down here. Yeah. And you're like, where are they going? But then they get to a fucking high school and it's like, it keeps going. Yeah. It's just like, a very unique and weird vibe in this story that like I've never experienced before where like you're so certain yeah that the story isn't going to progress <laughs> and then it does but then it just does yeah i agree it is interesting and i just have to talk about the tulsi town advertising <laughs> for a second i think this is a real chain no, I think it's fictitious. Oh, is it fictitious? I think they made okay. it up. Okay, they made it up. Yeah. Because it's just this um clown, this girl <laughs> clown who's also a queen. So she has the clown crown in <laughs> Tulsi Town. It's very, I mean, it's all very convincing. Like the oh, aesthetic yeah. and the vibe. Like this and vintage animation. Yeah, it feels small. It feels like... Oh, if you ever go to blah, blah, blah in Oklahoma, you have to stop at Tulsi Town. Like, it feels like one of those staples of a small town. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, but like somehow as unnerving as anything else in this movie. Yeah. And then they, they go to the Tulsi Town or the Dairy Queen. And like, it's really odd. Like, there's these three girls that are working there and like some of them are just laughing at them. Yeah. Or just not serving them. And the narrator's like, oh, can we get, you know, such and such? And then there's this other girl who seems, like, very different from the others. Like, she might be bullied. She has, like, eczema on her arms. So it seems like she might be a little bit of an outcast. Yeah. And in the film, Jake is very, like, suddenly he sees these girls and he's, like, super shy and doesn't want to, like, interact with them. Doesn't want to order. Yeah, and the narrator kind of has to, like, do everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And you, I think you are reminded of in the janitor's life yeah. when he passed like those high school girls in the hall and they were like giggling at him. Yeah, clearly like talking about him. Yeah, and that connection's very strong. And 
you know, I, I had seen this movie already by the time I got to this point in the book. But if I just read this in the book, I don't know if I would have like pulled anything from this scene. No. Other than the one girl's very ominous warning. Yeah. She's like, you don't have to leave. I'm scared for you. You should stay here. Yeah. And the narrator's like, why would I stay here? It's creepy here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a snowstorm. Yeah. And... Yeah. But yeah, the girl's like, you don't have to go. Like, you don't have to go forward in time or something like that. Yeah. And then she's like, here's your blizzard. All right, bye. (laughs) They have a conversation in the car as they're leaving the Tulsi town about David Foster Wallace. Yeah. In the movie anyway. And they're talking about an essay that he wrote or something. And it's kind of brought up that all anyone remembers about him is that he committed suicide. Yeah. And I was actually just reading something recently about uh, the poet Sylvia Plath. I was just going to say that's the same thing I have, you know, everyone remembers, oh, Sylvia Plath put her head in an oven. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it is kind of like everything that they've ever done, everything that they've ever thought or written or experienced is just reduced to a single like, oh, they committed suicide, which is really sad because like... There's so much more to a person's life and it doesn't mean that they didn't have like a good life. Yeah. And, you know, and I've heard this argument before and I really agree when people say someone lost their battle with depression. Yeah. And I really hate that phrasing of it. Mm-hmm. Like they were too weak. Yeah. They failed in they some succumbed. kind of way. Yeah. And like, you know. Uh, obviously this is a very heavy topic and I'm not like, oh, it's fine, you know, that that happens. (laughs) No. But like to phrase it in that way, I think is kind of, um, lacks a certain amount of empathy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and similarly, like, you know, like this discussion, the fact that this becomes either what a person is entirely known for. Yeah. Or it's like an asterisk, like a sad asterisk on their life. Yeah. And it's relevant because we, are realizing more and more in this story that this thinking of ending things is, you know, contemplating suicide. Yeah, in some kind of, like, broader sense that, like, you know, maybe you understand at this point, maybe you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, in the car, though, Jake <laughs> has two bites of his blizzard. And well, he's done. And he's like, I'm done. I don't want this anymore. In the book, I think they get, like, lemonade or something. Yeah, and he's like, I just find somewhere to throw this away. And she's like, what? Why? What are you he's talking like, about? It's going to melt everywhere or whatever. We have to find. He's like, there's a high school down this weird road. And I think we should go down this way. Oh, my God. And I just want to say this is when the book and movie get into peak nightmare dream territory. Yes. Like, this is such a dream scenario. Yeah. Of like, oh, we got these um, we have to throw away the cups. Yeah, we got this the <laughs> these drinks in a blizzard, but now we have to throw them away somewhere, and we don't know where to throw them away, and there's nowhere around, so let's yeah. go this really weird way. And and the narrator keeps being like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. I just want to go home. I just want to go home and break up with you. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what her thoughts are at this point. Yeah. Um, and once again, this road is really long and weird. Yeah. And they get to a high school that's like described as being like very big. But Just, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Jake gets out of the car and like kind of disappears briefly. Yeah. And the narrator is kind of like panicking a little bit because she's in a nightmare now. Yeah. 
Uh, but <laughs> Jake does come back eventually. Yeah. And like this scene was so weird for me in the book specifically. Yeah. It's a little bit better in the movie, but like they start kind of talking and he's like, I'm sorry that, you know, we came out here and I'd throw these cups away. And then they start like making out. And in the in the book, they're like gonna fuck. Yeah. Like he takes off her shirt. They're like really gonna do it. And I'm like, this is so dumb. Why would anyone have sex in a school parking lot? During a blizzard. During a blizzard. After what could only be the most stressful night of your entire life. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just, I mean, once again, like the logic of this story almost like doesn't even apply. No. Because it's so weird and dreamlike. The movie, it's more of him just kind of like kissing her cheek and like nuzzling her a bit and kind of trying to like maybe uh, ask for forgiveness for being so weird this whole time. Yeah. Uh, Things are uh, interrupted, though, when Jake is suddenly like, what the fuck? There's some old man in the school looking at us. Yeah. And once again, like a dream, you're like, what do you mean? He's like, he's in there staring at us like, yeah, I I'm outraged. I have to go have a word with him. him. And he like gets out of the car. And she's like, what are you doing? Let's just leave. Let's go. And he's like, nope, I'm leaving. Takes the keys with him and gets the fuck out. Mm. Yeah, this is awful. It's so, it just like is anxiety inducing. It is. It's so anxiety inducing. And and it literally starts to play out kind of like a horror movie from here. Yeah. I really like in the film, and I can't remember if, there's so many like monologues, I can't remember what's in book or movie, but like her talking about like the only reason she went out with Jake was just because like, she didn't say no. It was easier to say yes than it was to say no. Yeah. And similarly, to go on a second date or to sleep with him or to, like, visit his parents. And she gets caught in, like, a cycle of yeses. Yeah. To the point where she's, like, at this school in the middle of the night. In a blizzard. Yeah. And yeah. just kind of, like, this, like, awful cycle that yeah. she's caught up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually, when Jake isn't coming back, she's like, I ha- should go out and find him. Mm-hmm. And from this point on, I think we're going to talk about the book and movie separately because the endings of these stories diverge kind of very a lot. Yeah. Very a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not necessarily thematically. Yeah. But in terms of execution, for sure. Yeah. So appropriately, it's now raining outside. Yes, adding to the ominous vibes. Yes, because the narrator of the book is now wandering aimlessly through a dark, creepy fucking high school. This part of the book was just so horror movie. So unsettling. Honestly, I was afraid of watching the movie because of this part of the book. I can imagine. Like, I finished the book before we watched the movie, and I was like, I don't want to watch the movie. (laughs) Well, she sees, like, the tall man. Yeah. In the, and he's, like, crawling along Uh, the ground. uh, Ugh. And she's, I mean, it's so... I mean, it's a horror movie, but it's also much more nightmarish. Yeah. Because she's just kind of, like, fleeing, but, like, not from anything specifically. She's kind of, like, finding a lot of weird shit. Yeah. Like a weird videotape in a VCR and, like, Mm -hmm. an outfit that she wore as, like, a child. Yeah. It's odd because she's, like, trying to find out where she is in this school, right? Like, she's wandering around looking for Jake. And then she's like, maybe I shouldn't be yelling for Jake because there's this ominous man with a mop 
who's like terrorizing me and following me and yeah. is like maybe gonna try to kill me and he did something to Jake maybe so then she's like being quiet and trying to find her way back to where she came in and when she gets there the door is chained and locked shut and the car's gone yeah and, and there's a note by the chain that I I forget something about like there's what crimes will happen here or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she's just like, and, and she's running, but then hiding, but then mm-hmm. running. And it's like, God, it's just so not a good time. No. And she keeps remembering things. And then she doesn't know why she remembers. Like, she's like, oh, the gym is through here. And she's like, well, h- how do I know that? Yeah. And then she's like, oh, this room is familiar. But, like, I don't know why. Yeah. And I honestly, how this transition, and we had seen the movie already at this point, so I kind of knew where this story was going. Yeah. So I kind of forget what spurs this on mm-hmm. in the book. Um, but she kind of had, she, she, first of all, she thinks Jake is, like, dead. Yeah. She finds his clothes. Yeah. But then she realizes, like, I never saw this old man that Jake claims to have seen. Yeah. And I think Jake is the old man. Like, I think he came inside and put on these boots that I'm hearing, and he's the one, like, Mm -hmm. terrorizing me. Yeah, and then there's a part where she's kind of freaking out and mentally spiraling, I think. Like, she's thinking about all these different things. She's questioning her reality, what's happening, how long she's been here, what's going on. There's, like, a weird smell that she doesn't understand is why she's smelling it. (sighs) And then she kind of has this, like, she's trying to ground herself and be like, no, remember a place that's safe. Remember a place that's familiar. And she starts remembering her room. And because we've read this part in the book already when she's in in Jake's room, (laughs) um, we instantly know that it's Jake's room. Because she talks about like, oh, the chair that was next to the bookcase. And there was like a kettle there and like a candle and things like that. So all these details that she's remembering, she's like, my room, my safe space. And you're like, it's Jake's room. Yeah. And she comes to the realization that like, her and Jake are the same person. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck does this mean? Yeah. And she ends up hiding in a closet. Yeah. But like knows that the janitor's coming for her and also realizes that the janitor is a part of her as well or she's a part of him. Yeah. And we get kind of an explanation as to like who she is and why she is part of Jake. And that scene in at the bar trivia night is kind of retold. And it's like this memory that Jake had of like this girl that maybe he was chatting with years and years ago. And she was nice. And it seemed like they were getting along, but he was too like shy to ask for her phone number or to yeah. give her his number. And then they never see each other again. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. So she's just like a pretty girl he saw a long time ago. And that she is now just some kind of projection of, like, who his ideal girlfriend is. Yeah, and there's, like, this is where the narration shifts to we, 
Yes. Which is very um, Gollum of Jake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like we had to see where it would go if we had talked to her, if we had given her our number. Like we wanted to see what would happen if she met our parents and like all this stuff. And then you start hearing about how like Jake like, you know, quit his job at the lab because he couldn't stand being around people anymore. Like he couldn't handle talking to people, making small talk and like being around others and was just super isolated and awkward. And then he started, you know, he had to take care of his parents who were aging and like eventually die. Yeah. Uh, God. Starts working at the school as a janitor and like does that for like 30 years. Yeah. And like, He is incredibly intelligent, but, like, never was able to do anything with that because of his, like, personality. Yeah. Uh, Problems. Yeah. And uh, the the narrator kind of comes to a point of, like, acceptance about, like, everything she's realizing. Yeah. And. What's interesting to me is, like, so it says in the book, like, um, Jake knew we were going to end it and didn't want to be alone. And this kind of bringing up is brought up in the movie, too. And I think Charlie Kaufman mentions it in one of this article, one of the articles we read and we'll link it on our Patreon, is that even in Jake's fantasy of this girl, she's breaking up with him. (laughs) I know. You know? Yeah. Like, even in his ideal version of this girl, like, she wants to leave. Yeah. That, like, (laughs) he... I think he's, like, so self-loathing to a degree that he can't even come up with a fantasy of a girl without, like, imagining a sense of rejection, too, that would come with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really odd. I do want to read just a portion from the book here during, like, the crazy school scene where the narrator is just kind of freaking out and, like, remembering all these, like, crazy memories. And this is where... You mentioned that thing about, like, that incident in her, in her childhood that she thought was freaky. Yeah. But you're like, it's the tall man. It's the tall man. But um, she is remembering that, and she ha- kind of has, like, a realization and says, We can't and don't know what others are thinking. We can't and don't know what motivations people have for doing the things they do. Ever. Not entirely. This was my terrifying, youthful epiphany. We just never really know anyone. I don't. Neither do you. It's amazing that relationships can form and last under the constraints of never fully knowing, never knowing for sure what the other person is thinking, never knowing for sure who a person is. We can't do what we, whatever we want. There are ways we have to act. There are things we have to say, but we can think whatever we want. Anyone can think anything. Thoughts are the only reality. It's true. I'm sure of it now. Thoughts are never faked or bluffed. This simple realization has stayed with me. It has bothered me for years and years. It still does. Yeah. And this idea of like thoughts being the only reality is like very uh, indicative of mental illness. Because mm. um, yeah. I mean, I think there is an argument if you're being philosophical of like, yes, thoughts are our reality because how can we know what our reality is beyond what we think? But in terms of like the therapy that I have received in my life and also knowing what it's like to try to have a healthy relationship with self-loathing yeah, and, you know, depression and anxiety is that we are more than our thoughts. That's a really, really good point. Yeah. And so to me, this is Jake or the narrator or whoever kind of choosing to believe this narrative of their thoughts as the only reality. That's 
Yeah, because I mean, I never even really thought of it from that ultra negative. I was just kind of thinking of it from a purely philosophical standpoint. Yeah. But I think from the mental illness standpoint, that's incredibly uh, important to keep in mind. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, you can tie that into like, you know, meditation and stuff. The whole point of that is to be like, to acknowledge your thoughts as being only thoughts and being able to kind of just like let those go Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, this swirl of emotion is literally just happening in my head. And I'm more than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. So to accept like, this is the only thing that's like pure and true about reality is like, you can't fake a thought. Yeah. You can fake actions or caring about someone, but you can't actually fake what your internal monologue is, so to speak. Yeah. And honestly, I believe the exact opposite. Like, I believe we can have any thought in the world. But oh, all that yeah. matters is what we choose to do. Well, and people are self-delusional all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, people are self-deceiving all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, they may really believe it, but they believe it because it's convenient to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> this leads to... Maybe the most bleak ending I've ever read in my life. So you've heard of a coat hanger abortion, but have you heard of a coat hanger suicide? (laughs) I love that you have your thumb up right now. You've heard of a coat hanger abortion, right? (laughs) Thank you for adding some levity. (laughs) I thought of that joke earlier and I saved it for you. (laughs) Thank you. I I deeply appreciate it. Uh, That's what happens, though. Yeah, the janitor takes a coat hanger out of the closet and stabs himself with it in the neck. Yeah. And it's described as him, like, pushing it into his, like, under his chin. Yeah, and he bleeds out. And then I guess his coworkers find him in the morning. Yeah, and and it ends, and, like, that's it for the narrative. Yeah. And then we get a final ending moment of, like, the two people discussing again, like, the coworkers. Yeah. And talking about his quote-unquote suicide note... That was actually very long, and it's not really a note so much as it is a story. With characters in it. And he's, like, one of the characters, but not the main character talking. So, like, the implication is that the book that we've read... Is the suicide note. Is the suicide note. I think this is the dumbest fucking thing (laughs) the book could have done at the very end. Really? Like, I don't know. If you want to look at this story as, like... The mental and emotional um, turbulence of a man yeah. on the verge of suicide. Contemplating suicide. Yeah, and self-reflection on his life and like pa- possible relationships and everything. But as soon as you think about that in the context of like, he's writing this, but he's writing it from the standpoint of a character who's realizing that they're a figment of the imagination yeah. of the person who's killing themselves. And also he was specific about how he killed himself. Like, so it was obviously like premeditated as to where he did it and why. And like, I think it just suddenly adds a really stupid layer to all of it. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, it it just, I I don't know, adds a level of like planning. Yeah. Too much planning. It feels like it's it supposed to be too neatly. Yeah, and it feels like it's supposed to be not a, a twist, but kind of almost at the end that like what we've been reading is something he wrote, like his suicide note. Yeah. I'm like, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Adina. I I've I've had a stressful week. 
All right. And I was like, hey, this book's short at least. Like, we're, yeah. we're, we're trying to, we're recording this episode early because we're leaving for vacation. Yeah. And I have a lot of work stuff I'm doing. And just things have been very busy and stressful. And I'm like, at least I can finish this book that's been, like, somewhat entertaining. Yeah. And... <laughs> I I just I didn't need this Adina. <laughs> I didn't need the sending. I didn't need to read about someone killing themselves and then that's just the end. Yeah. I I don't know. It's I, pretty bleak. Yeah. I ended up watching another an, an episode of um I think you should leave <laughs> to try to unwind, which is arguably as surrealist and weird <laughs> as this book is with just a more comedic bent. Yeah. Uh but <laughs> I really needed to like decompress after reading this. I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it just was a lot. Yeah, it just felt overly unnecessarily bleak, gruesome. Gruesome. Yeah. Kind of like I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of ways you could read into it to being like oh, maybe you know, like you were saying the argument that like it's an end of his pain or suffering or whatever. Yeah. And there may be a silver lining to that. I don't know. It was just way too much, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the movie ending, though. Yes. So Lucy enters the school to find Jake mm-hmm. after he's gone in there to challenge the janitor <laughs> to fisticuffs. Uh, and she kind of catches sight of the janitor cleaning First of all, the school is lit. Yeah. Which is good. Yes, it's not horror movie vibes. She kind of like hides from him though and is in like a doorway, but he comes up to her. But it's like a really chill interaction. Yeah, and he just tells her like this is a safe place. Yeah. And he wants to give her slippers just like Jake did yeah. when they went to the house. And it's funny because she she's like, I'm looking for Jake. Like I need to know where he is. And the janitor's like, well, what does he look like? And she's like, I don't know. Yeah, and she goes further into talking about, like, their first meeting, once again revising it Mm -hmm. to saying that, like, I don't know, I saw him at a bar trivia night one time, and he was looking at me like a creep. And I was just there with one of my girlfriends hanging out, and, like, I felt really uncomfortable, and I hate that that happens when I go out, that I can't just be somewhere, like, guys have to be creepy towards me. Yeah, and I wish my boyfriend had been there. Yeah. And, like, Jake couldn't know this to be what her thoughts were since he never really talked to her. Yeah. It's implied, um, but this is clearly, like, Jake, his inner monologue, kind of, like, declining into his, all of his self-doubts. Yeah. About, like, what if that girl that I'm imagining being my dream girl and us being together. What if maybe she like didn't love me yeah, or she, she wouldn't like, have, or me. she thought it was creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the janitor is like, well, go find your boyfriend. So she kind of goes into the school. Yeah. She does see Jake. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get the ballet, Oklahoma dance sequence homage. Yes, which this is, I have not seen Oklahoma, the musical, but this is an actual scene from Oklahoma where um, it's kind of like a love triangle story from what I know. And the woman in it has a dream 
Mm. about these two men that are kind of interested in her. Yeah. And it's this dream ballet. I didn't realize it was in a dream. Yeah. But I guess it was explained that like they were practicing the dream ballet in the hallway earlier. Yeah. Or at least in something I read. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's this whole dance choreographed scene in the hallway between two different people yeah. dressed as uh, the main characters. Yeah, so it's like the narrator, the woman... And then Jake, but then also someone that looks like the janitor. And they're kind of like fighting over her. There's this confrontation and Jake ends up getting killed. Yeah. And this idea that like uh, who the janitor actually is not being able to like actually have the girl or like destroying this kind of more idealized version of himself. Mm -hmm. And then and I love like the fake Jake yeah. uh, dancer lying on the ground and throwing the blood red ribbons uh, yes. into the air. <laughs> but then the real janitor comes back and is like sweeping away the the, uh, snow. the fake snow and like the settery, the, the settery, the scenery stuff. Yeah. And kind of like bringing you back into reality. But like the couple during this dance sequence get married as well. Yeah. So it's kind of supposed to be like, a happily ever after what could have been yeah. kind of moment in dance version. Mm-hmm. It's very beautiful. It is. It's gorgeous. And the dancers they have are really excellent. But this is kind of the, the last time that, well, not, I guess not the last time, but then we don't really see Jake and Lucy, the narrator after this. And it's just the janitor. Yeah. The janitor ends up going back out to his car mm-hmm. in the snow And I mean, at this point, it's fully cemented in our heads that, like, we don't get, like, the very um, on-the-nose moment we get in the book where she's like, I'm not real! Yeah, and starts saying, we. Yeah, but, like, at this point, you're on board and understand that this is, like, all a construct in the janitor's head. Mm -hmm. And he goes out to his car, is cleaning it off, and it gets inside, and... Just starts freaking out. Yeah. And ends up taking off all his clothes. Yeah. Now, earlier on, um, uh, the the main character, when she was waiting in the car, talked about hypothermia. Mm-hmm. And actually, taking off all your clothes is a response to hypothermia people have. Yeah. Because your body actually, at some point in freezing to death, reacts into thinking it's really hot. Yeah. And so people will take their clothes off. Mm-hmm. And so I think... It's implied at this point that the man is freezing to death. Yeah. um, Because he strips totally naked. Mm -hmm. And starts hallucinating. Yeah. And we see the... um, The Tulsi town. Tulsi town. The clown queen. Commercial. Yeah. In this terrifying animated (laughs) bit. And then we get an animated pig. That's being eaten alive by maggots. Yes. And the animated pig is like... Don't worry, man. Just like, come follow me. We're going to go back inside the school. (laughs) And then the janitor's like, cool. And is literally naked walking through the snow into the school. Yeah. Um, The janitor enters the school. The pig's talking to him and is kind of like. It's not so bad being a pig eaten by maggots. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's got to do it. Uh, Apparently, originally, um. uh, Charlie Kaufman wanted a real pig, but found out they can't really walk on any hard slick surface like tile or anything (laughs) so the animated pig quality was like uh a correction to that or like a way of doing it still interesting and then we get jake 
uh, kind of, what does he do first? His acceptance speech? Yes, his, I think his acceptance speech comes first. Yeah, so he's like, he's in old makeup. And then everyone in the audience is in old makeup. You see Lucy. You see some of the kids from the high school. You see his parents. Everybody's wearing like really dumb old makeup. Really fake. Yeah. It's either like what would be worn in a A school production. Yeah. Or a musical or play where you have to see it from a distance. Yeah. Or just like really like intentionally cheesy bad makeup. Mm -hmm. And neither of us knew this watching it. But this speech that he gives is actually like verbatim from A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. The film with Russell Crowe in 2000. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a really interesting reference when you think about it. Because as we're watching it, I'm like, this has to be from something. Like, I knew it was. And it's so, like, cheesy and the music that's playing is vaguely inspirational. (laughs) It's like a man at the end of his life being like, thank you for this achievement. Like, I've worked so hard and it finally means something. And I think this juxtaposed with, like, Jake's life. Because in, you know, A Beautiful Mind, it's about a man struggling with mental illness. Yeah, he has uh, schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, who And he was brilliant. Like, he did make, like, big contributions to, like, math yeah. and science. But um, that was a struggle all his life. Mm-hmm. Whereas the character of Jake, like, the old man, was clearly very intelligent and brilliant, but just wasn't able to do anything. Yeah. Or at least, I mean, in, in terms of, like, scientific contributions. Or he felt like he wasn't able to do anything. Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. not that he, like, his life was worthless or anything, but he didn't do something like that. But clearly, that was his kind of idealized version of, like, being successful. Yeah, and maybe finally getting this at the end of his life. And after his speech... He is in the set of his childhood bedroom and he starts singing a song from Oklahoma. Yes. A lot of Oklahoma in this. Yeah. I wish I knew it better. I know. Uh, if I if I known Oklahoma was so important to <laughs> I wish I was ending things, I would have watched it before. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he does a whole song and, and, and the narrator, she's in the audience yeah. watching and so are the parents, mm-hmm. which is so funny because you saw the parents earlier in like convincing old age makeup. And yeah. now they have like the really heavy bad makeup on in the audience. Uh, but after he's done singing and he's getting applause, it fades to like a sky blue. Yeah. And we get a shot of the car, the uh, the, the janitor's truck. car, the mm-hmm. truck uh, kind of just mounted up with snow in the parking lot. Yeah. And that's it, and the credits roll, and you hear this noise, and you finally realize it's probably like a snowplow coming through and plowing the school parking lot. But I think it's left open, but the interpretation I think we're... Most of us will probably be thinking is that the janitor just froze to death in his truck. Yeah. The the whole, once the pig showed up. Yeah. (laughs) He was dead. Yeah. (laughs) Or dying. Uh, Yeah, hot tip for anyone. If you suddenly see an animated pig. You're probably dying. You're probably dead or dying already. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like, dealing with similar themes, the kind of, I I don't want to call it a twist, because I think in the movie you pick up on it a lot sooner. Yeah. Um, But like, there's a lot of similarities between the book and the movie in this end. But like, tonally yeah they're just so different so which one's better Ian? you know there were a lot of things i liked about the book a lot of the discussions i found interesting and obviously the movie borrows extremely heavily from the setup and plot Mm -hmm. and kind of formula of the book yeah i do think though the movie takes that 
and really builds on it very well. It kind of links everything together, whereas the book felt like just randomness. And on some level, I appreciate the randomness, but on another level, I'm kind of like, why is this here? Yeah. Like like, the paintings, the tall man. What was the tall man? What is the tall man? I mean, besides like being Jake, who we know is tall, but like, what does that mean? What's the childhood memory there? Yeah. Like there's so many aspects and like, The janitor at the end, we don't get any kind of hint of him. Like, unless I forget in those discussions throughout. Do they ever mention it being in a school? Um, Whatever the crime was? No. I didn't think so. They allude to it, but unless you know it's a school, you don't understand the clues. Yeah, so, like, the janitor at the end, who you don't even really see being the person... Yeah. Is all kind of, whereas the movie thoughtfully, like, shows you this man Mm -hmm. throughout. And like Charlie Kaufman said, it's not meant to be a twist really at the end. No. Like, by by the time you get to the end. You know. You understand, okay, the narrator isn't real and neither is the young Jake. It's really just all a part of this old man. Yeah. And similarly, I do feel like the narrator, there is a stronger sense of her still having, like, a certain amount of agency in the story. Yeah. Like, I I know in the book, like, she is breaking up with him, even Mm -hmm. though she's a figment of his imagination. Yeah. Um, But, like, there's more... I I think the movie does this escalation of it better, where at first she's kind of, like, really into him, even though she's thinking of breaking it off. Mm -hmm. But then as it goes, it turns into her being, like, I don't know, he was just some guy at a bar. Yeah. You know, and Mm -hmm. kind of like fully rejecting the idea of being his ideal woman. Yeah. Yeah. And being this just amalgamation of his interests. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the movie's ending while bleak is still kind of interesting and fascinating. Whereas the book was just like, and then he killed himself. And you're like, okay. It's just pure existential dread. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Leading up to a terrible ending. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and the movie, I found the book to be interesting for quite a bit of it. Even maybe some of the like horror elements at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, and similarly the movie, it probably benefits from a second viewing. Yeah. Um, but I was like, entertained throughout because there is something about watching a movie like this where you're kind of like anything could happen yeah i really have no idea where this is going i don't know if i'd want to watch it again to be honest it's not the type of film that i mean i I thought it was interesting but i'm like i don't i don't know if i watch again i would still choose the the movie over the book though yeah you know i felt similarly i'm like i don't think i'd probably ever watch this again I still probably won't, but after watching video essays and kind of getting my head around it a little bit more, part of me was like, maybe someday, Yeah, you know, I do think there would be a benefit. You would get something out of watching it again. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I would never recommend this book to anyone. I'm sorry, but just like the way it ends, like, yeah. I can't do that to someone. I wouldn't be like, here, read this book. It's dark, but it's still good. No, it's just depressing. It's a huge... <laughs> It's such a bummer. Yeah. I will say in the film that I really loved the dance number. I loved the buildup throughout the film. You know, at one point, I was so certain I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. When they're in the car driving back from the house, I thought for sure 
they were just going to get to the house again. Oh, come back. Yeah. Like, they couldn't escape it. Like, they yeah. just, like, suddenly Jake's like, well, we're here. Yeah. Because, like, that, that portion in the middle with the parents is kind of, like, its own thing. And you're kind of surprised when they leave. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure... Because then they're just having discussions in the car again. Yeah. And I thought for sure, I'm like, oh, they're just going to show up at the house again. Like, I thought I knew where it was going, and then I had no idea. Yeah. Um, It was a little slow by the time he gets to the speech at the end. Yeah. By that point, I was, like, checking my watch, and I'm like, eh, It could be shorter. Yeah, I'm like, this is about over, but uh, yeah, I would definitely choose movie over book on this one. Okay, so now that we've decided, let's hear what our patron uh, Kevin has to say about this Uh, adaptation. So Kevin says, I watched this movie knowing absolutely nothing about it, and I loved it pretty much within the first few hours of watching. I never read the book, although I've heard that it's quite different from the movie. I ended up going down a few rabbit holes reading about it after my first watch, which allowed me to better digest and understand it and come to my own conclusions. This is one of those movies for me where I became the asshole who's like, you just didn't get it when people say they didn't like it. But I'm sure plenty of people got it and just don't care for it. Anyway, here's my interpretation of what's going on. I actually think most everything we see is in Jake's head. It may be a memory, an association, or just outright fabrication. Only the scenes of old Jake alone at home and at the school are real, and even then, intermixed with his mental projections. It's like Fight Club, but instead of being the best version of himself, you can see the truth peeking through the cracks. Even in his fantasies, Jake knows he isn't the man he wants to be. He still embarrasses himself, still gets angry, still fails, still disappoints. There's a shot at the very beginning showing Jake looking through the window and seeing Jesse Buckley slash Lucy, and he actually seems to switch between his younger, idealized self and his older, dying self. This might actually be Jake's last morning, and I wonder if him seeing Lucy is what kicks off the entire story of the film. He just imagines what his life would be like if she was getting into his car and we're all whisked away together. And I think I didn't even, I remember seeing that shot at the beginning, Mm -hmm but not associating that with kind of this story kicking off. And I think that's a really great uh, thing to catch Kevin. And he goes on, we'll post his full review on Patreon to talk about like all the weirdness that kind of builds up. So stuff we've already talked about in the episode. Um, but yeah, totally agree with your take on this, Kevin. And thank you so much for requesting this episode. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do a cheerful lightning round. Yeah, let's pick things <laughs> up a little. <laughs> Okay, so first up for lightning round, I just have to shout out to the movie. There's a scene where the janitor is watching a film in one of the classrooms. And I'm like, is this an actual movie? And then the longer it went on, I'm like, no, this is a fake movie (laughs) that they just put into this movie. So it's a movie within a movie. And it's like this cheesy ending of like a rom-com where it's this waitress and she's like trying to take this guy's order. And then some other guy barges in and is like, she's a vegetarian or a vegan. She doesn't eat burgers and I love her. And then her boss is like, you're fired. And then they like sit out on the back and he he's like, I love you or something. And then she like punches his shoulder and then like holds hands and then it ends. And then on the screen, it's like directed by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> And apparently Charlie Kaufman asked Robert Zemeckis if he could do this. And, and he was like, he was sure. Like, yeah, sure. Whatever. I agree, though. With I, I read Charlie Kaufman's like thoughts on that, though. And yeah, because they were just trying to think of a funny director to put in at the end. Yeah. And I think Robert Zemeckis is so funny because like it's definitely not the kind of movie he would direct. But he's directed so many different types of movies. Yeah. And it like falls enough into the realm of like 
possibility that like <laughs> like it's definitely more of a um Nancy Myers type film. Yeah. But like it's kind of possible Robert Zemeckis could have made it. So it's like It was just hilarious. It was so funny. <laughs> um so for my lightning, the first person I ever talked to who watched this movie uh, was my brother Phil. Who's a famously harsh film critic <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> he is so, so tough on Twitter. He'll be like, I really loved this movie. Like, great performances. I really liked the story. Uh, good blah, blah, blah. And they'll be like, 7 out of 10. <laughs> or like 6.5 out of 10. Like, yeah. <laughs> he won't say a negative thing, but then give it like, what for most people would be a very middling review yeah. or score. But like, I respect it. Um, Phil hated this film. Really? He absolutely hated it <laughs> and was just like, Ian, it's just like a lot of art housey bullshit. <laughs> like, I just couldn't stand it. And like, we agree like 90% of the time, maybe yeah. more like 85% of the time. But, um, I had him send me his Twitter review of it <laughs> and it goes, I'm thinking of ending things 2020. This is probably the most difficult movie to summarize. I will simply say I wanted to end things about 10 minutes into the movie. <laughs> Zero out of 10. Oh, my God. Yeah, I told you. He hated it. Wow. That's harsh. Uh, Phil, if you're listening and if I've changed your mind, even like one point. In, or half a point. Or half a point. Let me know. <laughs> so last for lightning round. As we were recording this episode, I had this realization when we were talking about it. So, you know, when we were like. Why doesn't she put her phone on silent? Why doesn't she turn it off? Why doesn't she block the number? I'm like, wait, is this a meta commentary about how she's really an old man who doesn't know how to silence her phone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Because I was just thinking, like, you know how in the movie she's always putting on her glasses before she answers she her phone? She is always putting her glasses on. That's like an on. old person it thing. It is. Yeah. That's so funny. I, like, remember thinking how odd that was. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true because it happens in the book too like she doesn't put her phone on silent and i'm like it's because she's an old man and is like i don't know how to block this number <laughs> you can do now, that let's see here where's yeah the, oh, not that menu where yep. am i <laughs> oh that's great uh that's it for lightning round for us this episode thank you for listening to this episode if you would like to become a patron and request episodes that you choose you can do that over on patreon yes uh if you join our patreon you get access to monthly schedules uh updates from us just on our lives uh every bonus episode we've ever done which is like 30 we just did one on the charlie and the chocolate factory movie yeah we're well into the 30s at this point so that's a lot of additional content yeah uh and plus just you know we will send you a message saying thank you yeah and can you put a price on that? <laughs> I don't think you can. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> um, you can also find us on social media. Definitely engage with us. We're on Instagram and Twitter a lot, on Facebook too, but we have polls up um, for every episode where you can vote on whether you prefer the book or the movie. So definitely check that out. And if you can, give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find our podcast. We're getting real close to 100. I really want to hit that threshold. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.